0: Great to worship with you. Thanks for bringing out one of my all time favorite worship leaders to worship with and serve with this morning. It was a great time of worship. And uh, before I met Charlene, one of my other all time favorite worship leaders before I moved out to Chilliwack was Lincoln Tatum. <laughs> he uh, went to Bible college together, and I remember thinking, whatever church gets, this guy is going to be a very lucky congregation. And so it's great to see that he's been here for. For a long time, I used to have this idea that to impact someone's life, I need to have my life all together. I was taught this idea that if I'm going to have an impact, if I'm going to cause change in someone's life, if I'm going to have an impact in a church or in a community, if God's going to flow through me, that the order that this needs to happen is that I've got to get my life all together. I've got to get as much of God inside of me and my heart transformed and filled up and pumped up. And, and then once that happens, then I can go out and unleash some change somewhere or impact someone's life somewhere. And and I remember being taught this, that that the way that we train missionaries, the way that we prepare people to go to the field, the way that we prepare people to have an impact is to to get away and get some education for 10 years or five years or training and, 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 and have as much input before we have output. And I get the concept. I even think that there's some places in Scripture that would speak to that. The problem is... The problem is, is that I'm often empty. The problem is, sometimes I feel like I'm disconnected from God. The problem is, sometimes I feel like God isn't inputting into my life, or that he's silent. I'm also taught this idea that that we want to have an impact somewhere, we have to have this altruistic motivation. That it's got to be all about the person that we're going to help and not about me as the helper. And again, I get the selflessness of that idea and it even sounds pretty biblical. But I think that if we're truly going to be motivated in order to have an impact in people's lives, I think it's a, a biblically legitimate thing to ask the question, What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Might sound uh, a little bit strange coming in the context of a, a church worship service, or or uh, a little bit counterintuitive, but I think I think that there's I know that there's biblical proof, there's biblical evidence, there's 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 stuff here that says that it's legitimate to ask. What's in it for me? When we say what's in it for me, I'm not talking about something material. We're going to look at Isaiah 58 this morning, the passage of Scripture that we referred to in the video and that Pastor Richard spoke from. passage of Scripture that really, uh, when I immersed myself in many places in Scripture, this being one of the most significant, God birthed about the vision for what we would be doing with this organization Isaiah 58 starts starts pretty bold. It says, "Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins." And here's their sins. They act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near to me. That's the sin. That's the sin. They're acting pious, they're pretending to be spiritual. And God quotes his people in this passage. He says, "Of his people we've fasted before you," they say. God, we've fasted before you. We've even even gone to the religious extreme of fasting. Why aren't you impressed? We've been really hard on ourselves, God, and you don't even take notice. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that way? That you're going through all the right religious motions, but yet somehow God seems kind of quiet. He seems distant. He seems inactive in your life. Doing all the right things, just that he's not there. And I, I read this passage of scripture or really noticed it for the first time in my life where I, that, that, that was a description of my spiritual life where, where I was doing all the right spiritual things. I was in ministry. I was a pastor. I was reading the books. I was, I was going through the religious motions, but yet God seemed just pretty quiet. And then I looked around me and other spiritual leaders were saying the same kinds of things that God was inactive in our churches, that we're that as a church in North America, we have all the spiritual tools at our in our hands to be affecting change and to bring spiritual life into our congregations and in our churches, in our lives. Yet churches seem more and more empty. Our lives seem more and more empty. We're religious but not effective. God says, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because you're fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep on oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. But instead, this will. Verse 5, it says, humble yourself. You humble yourself by going through the motions of penance bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap, cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Is, is this what you think will please the Lord? Yeah, I would think that. I would think that. If I was going to that kind of an extreme of, of, of religious discipline, yeah, I would think that would make God happy. I think that that would make God turn and show his face and be active in my life. Fill me up. Verse 6, God says, no, no. This is the kind of fasting that I want. This is the kind of spirituality that I want. Here it is. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. He goes on to describe this religion, this fasting. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And, this, this is, <laughs> and do not hide from your relatives who need your help. It's interesting that he lumps our relatives in with other people who we try to avoid sometimes in our lives. He describes a faith and a religion, a spirituality that I didn't grow up understanding. Because I grew up with the understanding, as I shared before, that I get my life right together spiritually, and then I have what I need in order to go out and impact people's lives. No, that's not a kind of spirituality that pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord is, is how, we, how we treat the least of these And in verse 8 answers the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? If we spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry, what's in it for me? He says, then, uh, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call and the Lord will say, yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply. That's what's in it for you. He, he is what is in it for you. And then he goes back. Just in case we missed it the first time, he goes back and repeats. Stop the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out of the darkness. Things around you dark, things around you empty, God seemed distant. How are you treating people around you? Then feed the hungry, help those in trouble, then your light will shine out of the darkness, and the darkness around you will become as bright as noon. Listen to this. This is what's in it for you. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You'll like listen to this list. you'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will, some of you will rebuild deserted ruins of your cities, then you'll be known as the rebuilder of walls and the restorer of homes. We want to see God show up in our lives, show up, show up into other people's lives. Make their lives less burdensome. How do you treat people? The least, the people that you don't want to be with, the people who need our help. God says, pay attention to me, but pay attention to the poor, and then I'll pay attention to you. Pay attention to the poor, and I'll pay attention to you. Because changing other people's lives will change your life. That's what's in it for us. Uh, Just this last, over the last couple of years, my dad's been in the process of retiring. And he was, he ended his career as a vice president for Rogers Media in in BC. And he had a, a long, great career in the corporate world and, uh, and was was getting to that place where he was retiring, and I thought, oh man, how is like like many people who retire, how is he going to do with that, going from a busy corporate life to nothing? And so I started to ask him. Some of you are smiling in the room because you kind of remember what that was like, or know what that was like. And so I, I asked him one day. I said, Dad, are you, you know now you've got all this time? Are you going to volunteer for your church board are you going to get involved in mentoring other leaders are you going to get involved with missions somewhere and uh and my dad's this kind of guy who's pretty withdrawn and he's pretty quiet and he likes the situation around him pretty controlled and he he likes he's uncomfortable with with uncertainty and so i thought that kind of an involvement in his retirement would be great kind of something that like he did in his work life and he said, no, I'm, but I'm volunteering in my church. I said, oh, that's awesome. Like, are you getting involved in the missions committee or on the board? He said, no, I'm, I'm um, helping with the Friends Club. And it, as some churches call their, their, their ministry to people with disabilities, uh, that was what his, his, his church called the Friends Club. And he said, I, no, they've paired me up with a guy named Justin. Who can't really control his body movements and his language, and and uh, I'm I'm gonna go bowling with him. I went. My mom was shocked. We were all shocked. I think he shocked himself. And uh, I happened to be in Ontario the very first night, staying at their place. The very first night that he went to volunteer with Justin, and uh, and. And we were we were pretty nervous that he'd go once and say I'm not doing that any I'm not doing that ever again. And he showed up and he came back with this huge smile on his face, and he told us about Justin. And Justin wasn't super interested in bowling, but he was super interested in cookies. And so my dad had to monitor him to make sure that he wasn't eating too many cookies. And, and because they call Justin the Cookie Monster. And and my dad came home and uh, and with this big smile on his face. And I said, How was it? Kind of nervous. And he said. Uh, I think that I got way more out of that than Justin did. And it was a picture of Isaiah 58. It's a picture of Isaiah 58. What's in it for us? What's in it for us is the presence of God. That's what's in it for us. And any of you who have been to Kenya on any of your trips or serve in any capacity where you're having to sacrifice your time, your money, your effort, your skills, whatever it is that you're sacrificing, have probably come back with the same story, that you get more out of it than they do. That's what's in it for you. You getting more out of it, coming back saying, I got more out of it than I gave, is Isaiah 58 being lived out in your experience, And Hillside, uh, Hillside has had a long history of giving a lot, of serving a lot. That's why I, I love coming to be with you is because Hillside is a model church. It's a church we've called one of the trophy churches that we use an example of what happens when a congregation focuses its efforts, its time, its resources in a corner of the world somewhere far away and causes change. And you live out the model that I'm going to show to you. And for those of you that might not know what we do as an organization, I'm going to to explain how we work. And for some of you, it'll just be a review, but for those of you that might be new to the church or not familiar with our history in partnership with Hillside in Kenya, uh, here's, here's what we do as an organization. Our mission as an organization, the thing that we wake up thinking about every day is inspiring spiritual vibrancy, facilitating opportunities to know Jesus through worldwide compassion. Because of what Isaiah 58 says, that when we spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, we we encounter God's presence. And that's our mission every day, to facilitate opportunities for people, for congregations and groups to be able to engage in the lives of those who need help. And how we work with churches is we, first of all, build relationships with people in developing countries, leaders who are already there doing great things. We do partner assessment and project design so churches can know that it's doing the best things that it could be doing. We do monitoring, evaluation, and accountability so that, that people and congregations can know that the money that it's sending, the people that that they're investing and what they're doing in a country is having the the best and the most significant impact that it can possibly have, and that the people who are using your resources or implementing your resources are being held accountable for those things. Teams preparation and project logistics, the setup of what groups are gonna be doing from congregations like yours when you go, and capacity building and training of local leaders. That's what we do, that's what Lori's job is as one of our project managers. That's basically her job description. What we do with churches here is missions focusing consultation. We work with boards of elders and pastoral staffs, missions committees to help bring focus to their international ministry. We do public engagement and communication tools. We 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 do all of that to help congregations communicate with their people and with their constituencies the things that they're going to be engaged with. And that's one of the things that Adam does within our organization is help provides those communication tools to so that churches can communicate what they're involved with. Full-service short-term teams program. So we help with all the background logistics of sending teams from churches to engage your people, because it's not just enough to send your money. Isaiah 58 doesn't say just spend your money on behalf of the the poor and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. It says spend yourself. And our short-term teams program is living out of spending yourself on behalf of those that need you. Key leader training. We teach church team leaders and church leaders here about international development and about cross-cultural ministry and leading teams, and we help with fundraising coaching uh, because it, it's often, uh, it's a big job to raise the kind of funds that are needed for these things around the world, and so that's what we do on this side of the world with church leaders here. So we work with church leaders here and church leaders there, bringing them together, facilitating those relationships and doing it in a way where 100% of project dollars goes to projects. So that when a church like yours is building a school, a clinic, a water well, which you've all done, that 100% of what you provide for those projects go to those projects. So that life change happens somewhere in some part of the world that a congregation is involved, and life change happens back in the church. For us, the definition of success is when there's spiritual transformation in the church and spiritual and social transformation in, in some part of the world. And this has been Hillside's story. And oftentimes, we can back off. We get into the background, and we fade away when a church and a, and a field partner engage in relationship directly, and we can go and help another congregation or another church. All towards a world transformed. What we do is we address spiritual poverty here in Canada and North America by addressing spiritual poverty around the world. So... What, is this, what does this mean for you? I'm going to show you a story in a minute, one more video to end before Charlene comes up and leads us in another song. Uh, but what does this mean for you? There's a, a few responses for you as a congregation, for you as an individual. One of, them, one of them is to continue to have the kind of impact in some corner of the world like you've had in Boro and SeJ in Kenya. You as a congregation have done incredible things in those communities and you're in the place of figuring out what to do next, and I would encourage you as a, as a global leadership team and as a church leadership team to look and pray and seek God for where is the next place where you can have the kind of impact that you had in Kenya. Another way for you to engage or to do something about what you've heard this morning is to volunteer for the bread ministry. There you go. This whole sermon was about trying to find someone for the bread ministry. But seriously, that's a way that you can have an impact. That's a way that you can Uh, act based on what you've heard about today. And another way that you can act today is is knowing that this morning is a focus on the missionaries and the people who serve with your church. We couldn't do what we do without people like Lori and Adam. They are a fantastic investment because supporting our staff financially and and in prayer gives us the ability to make the commitment to congregations that 100% of what you raise for your project goes to your project. And that gives us a strategic uh, edge in working with churches and being the kind of organization that can go in and simply serve without worrying about how we're going to pay our bills. And so I'd encourage you, to continue to, to, if you don't already, to become personal supporters of Adam's, Adam's and Lori's They're going to be in the back, and you can go and talk to them about it. Grab some information about Hungry for Life, or you can come to talk to myself or Charlene about what it means to support them. If you want to talk to somebody about what it means to support Adam and Lori talk to us, or, or go and talk to them. But please consider being a part of their support team, because the more capacity they have to give to working at HFL, the more we can facilitate the kind of relationships that we facilitate. With congregations like yours. Let's pray. Oh God, it's just so good to be a part of your kingdom. It's so good to be a part of your people. Father, I want to thank you for what you have done through this church here in Coquitlam, but around the world. God, I pray that as this church continues to seek out ways of making an impact, that you would direct them and guide them to show them where you you want them to be, not just because of what you want to do through them as a church, but because of what you want to do in them as a congregation. in Jesus' name. We're going to show you a video before Charlene leads us in the last song. And this is a a video that you as a church have had a direct impact in bringing about. This this story is your story. And we sent a a team to go and capture stories like this. And the, the, the water story in what you're about to see in Mary's story is a project that Hillside was directly involved with. So watch this video, be encouraged about the change that you brought about in this one person's life, but in the lives of people who live in the communities around where Mary lives. And then we'll finish by worshipping with one more song.
1: My name is Mary Atienu. Mary Kata pima ni muda ni orang ni pima ni nyaloyu, ni tiem aku mana kunerai yeun ni yeun, punye buci buci. Kena sunan ni nyuoli. Rajiman enti, nak kelu tu makan ikh, guma leria. Kebanyakan kau jukum matri mama no. Nyasai ni buaya kor dan kitch ni nombi anjit indok. Kau saya makan ni sa, tomi anjak anjat indok. Mama kobe nada gokar. Kau <laughs> ni aneh nongi macam ni tin dorgi, kok kau dia rango kata numa ical nadi, numa ical nadi. Kau ni cunan niya kau minta kau jikumus, muda kau ni tin dorgin, kau jinil, bili lueta. Nenek anak uon, kau saya, wa saya buat kau rukang beach, diki dua obor, okan kau macam ni. Nenek orang mopi, iyalah, aku umpat di, cangwe di, Ibu mami amanu nedi malah, lori nedi ungi. Makuru udang jenua geloi. Nau teman domi aku nyu pi tu pinen ma boor. Nau endu mandam a pi aku nyal tuh. Mana Ibu mami ogi naku nyal lu kamal. Kore mandu loss mandam a pi orang orang uangu watai pam. Ikan obi rokoseng ogi ala. Udang Nedi mo kedo ne gindukonro ni ketkorogin manguti magi modo gin mango kaka giluo kere inu aka ka nitin ke dilali mo na bedo gu mora hinya ka banyalo yudupi ni ketene en guen ma kendo gimio wa nenu ler o mio sa niwanu maalo ni ketkoro lu karo wa bende guen ma ni nyalo
0: see that. Uh, it was really an incredible blessing to be there with Mary. Um, and even just recently, I was back in Kenya in August, and it's pretty incredible what this church has managed to change in that world.